0: Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast.
1: And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts who share
0: their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in
1: the cloud. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of Selling the Cloud podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reich, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Petruzzi. We are also joined by Alexine Mudawar, co-founder and co-host of the Women in Sales Club and a top 100 LinkedIn sales star. Today, we'll be covering three main areas. First, the catalyst to founding the Women in Sales Club. Second, Clubhouse the experience of building community on this medium, and third, B2B tech sales: the opportunities and challenges to achieving leadership diversity in the cloud. Alexine, please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Selling the Cloud podcast.
2: Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. I know, Ray, we've been connected for a while, so really excited for today's conversation. You know, I my background a little bit, I started about eight years ago in B2B tech sales as a full cycle sales rep, and I have stayed in the same capacity ever since. So it's been a journey. I've learned and seen a lot, and I just fell in love with tech sales, and I've stayed here. One
1: of the themes that Mark and I have been talking about on this podcast is opportunity and access. So my first question for you is, what brought you into B2B tech sales? How did you get your first opportunity, Alexine?
2: Well, much like everyone else who came into sales, I fell on my head into, uh, into sales, I feel like. So what's interesting is I graduated from Purdue University with every intention of becoming a retail buyer. So that's that was 100% the track I was on. And I found a company, Neiman Marcus at the time who had a buying program. And in order to qualify for their buying program, you had to work in the storefront for six months doing sales. So what was really interesting is I was having these crazy like 10,000, $15,000 sales weeks. And my manager at the time, when it came time to recommend me for the buying program, she actually sat me down and she's like, I'm happy to write your recommendation. I want to let you know what this role really looks like behind the scenes. You're going to be in a stock room for the next 10 years. You're not going to be on flights to Milan looking at exotic fabrics. It's not what you think the role is, but she was like, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that I think that there's something here. I think that you are an incredible salesperson and that you should explore this avenue. So that was really the first time I even knew that you could do sales as a career because going through college, it was like sales equals used car salesperson. So that wasn't in my mind, even a career option. And then I ended up finding my very first company, which was called Visa Now at the time. And they had already filled a big sales class. I think they had like 10 AEs that were starting at the same time. And for some reason, I somehow got an interview on my own in there, no experience whatsoever. But I had an incredible background from traveling abroad a lot and having all these different experiences for working abroad. And the director of HR at the time, he took a chance on me. He's like, I think there's something here. I could see you being really successful. So we're just going to throw you into the mix. Mm-hmm. So it's been an incredible journey since. And I'm so glad that I got that first role because I feel like I really got introduced to sales in the right way. I was doing every step of the sales process. And now today I have such a low ego about the prospecting, about everything it takes to be successful here.
0: So Alexine, that's that's a great background and great to hear you were able to be identified early as having all these sales skills and the ability to to stay focused on on that as a career. What do you think are the traits and attributes that right from the beginning has made you a successful sales rep, even at Neiman markets before the tech days?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly self-motivated, like to a fault, like I am incredibly self-motivated and self-critical. So those are kind of a storm of good and bad because I'm constantly kind of expecting more and more of myself. But at the same time, for a salesperson, that trait works really well. So I think there's that piece. I'm incredibly like task oriented as well. So like, I like to complete things. I like to like go through a process and then finish it off. And then, you know, I like talking to people. I'm I'm very much a people person. I've been that way since I was a little kid. I always did the door to door kind of like contests and different things. I grew up in my mom's restaurant and catering business talking to people since, really the age of like, whenever you start talking, I guess, whatever that is age four. And it's just been something that served me well in sales, the ability to just connect with people and truly enjoy connecting with people. love the
1: kind of being driven because drive is one of the three key personality assets I've always looked for in sales and experience actually was often secondary. But let me kind of take that to your latest kind of venue. And that is the woman in sales club, which I was on one of the first one or two sessions on Clubhouse, and it was really nice because I felt it was so inclusive because even I was kind of okay to be there. But what was a catalyst to you starting the Women in Sales Club?
2: Yeah, so it's so funny because when Gabrielle Blackwell and I co-founded the Women in Sales Club, initially our plan was just to have a couple clubhouse conversations we just wanted to have a connection with some other folks that were in our field gabrielle has experience as an sdr manager some more of like the managerial side i have the individual contributor side so there were just a lot of conversations we wanted to have selfishly and this enabled us a place to do that and then what happened afterwards was absolutely wild because now here we are you know just about six months later 3500 plus members And the trajectory went so much faster than we expected. And we also have consistently, since the beginning of the year, held a weekly meeting for two hours every single week on Saturdays. So it's been a pretty crazy ride, but the catalyst was really just the two of us wanting to have conversations and connect with other people in our field.
0: Great. So in picking the potential mediums that you can use, to deliver this kind of a message why clubhouse tell us a little bit of why you chose that and you know maybe the good the bad and the ugly with uh, with driving this on um, clubhouse as a medium
2: yeah clubhouse is a very polarizing choice i realize so i'm going to acknowledge that right up front here i know people have very specific opinions um i think for us i will say i think clubhouse was in a different place at the beginning of the year than it probably is today We have been fortunate in that we have a group of people who show up every single week. That's the Larry Long Juniors, Jeff Bajorek, Lori Richardson. You know, we have these folks that continuously are showing up with us. I will say that our plans for the future are to kind of morph a little bit more, to move more into doing some more like Zoom and live events and doing some written content. So the future does not look like what today looks like. But the experience, I guess, in using Clubhouse, one of the positives I will say is it's lower lift, I think, in my opinion, than like a zoom for us to run a two hour meeting every single week via zoom, I think would be absolutely exhausting. Like we'd be in full hair and makeup probably and like have Mm -hmm. to be like making eye contact with everybody. Whereas clubhouse, you know, Gabrielle and I did this a few months ago where we walked to the beach in Chicago and we're just wandering around leading a two hour session with 40 people from the beach. So I think there is like, it has its positives. But I think that I am watching closely, like the usership kind of ricochet a little bit. So it's been an interesting experience. But I think, you know, again, the future looks different than what today looks like.
1: Not you, but maybe we should go to Clubhouse because I wouldn't have to spend so much time on my makeup for these.
2: (laughs) There you go. That's time. Yeah, that's time I need on my Saturdays. Two
1: hours every Saturday for six months. So I just do some quick math. That's like 50 hours of these conversations at least. Are there any common kind of themes or conversation subjects that you see coming up again and again in this forum?
2: That's a good question. We have covered so many topics. I think a few that tend to resonate heavily are like the diversity within sales teams, attracting and retaining women on sales teams, imposter syndrome which has been interesting cuz some people are kind of like imposter syndrome doesn't exist some people say it does so it's that's been an interesting one we've kind of gone through a couple times and then i think those are probably like three of the main ones but to be honest like our topics vary so much week after week we did a topic on ageism we did one on lgbtqia+ and sales we've done such a spectrum of different topics and what's interesting too and this is something we've been very intentional about communicating is that these are not necessarily topics that are specific to women like being lgtbqia plus and sales is not a women specific topic so there are certainly some topics where they are more specific to women in this field but the reason we called it the women in sales club in the first place was because gabrielle and i are both women in sales but from the beginning we've been very intentional about stating the fact that we want men as part of this conversation we want men to contribute to be there if we look at the breakdown of our sales teams, we know that men hold the majority of the leadership roles. So we would be remiss not to include men in these conversations that we're having. So that's definitely a piece too, as we have gone through creating the club and continuing to hold these two-hour sessions and thinking through topics, we're also wanting men to contribute and show up, which they have been. So we have a really incredible support system that is men that have been part of these conversations too. So long-winded way of saying we've covered a lot (laughs) in a very short time.
0: So Alexine, tell us more about imposter syndrome and whether you think it exists or not.
2: It's a good question. So the interesting articles, I've actually been reading about this very recently. So I sit somewhere in the middle because I've been reading a lot about how some of the the traits along with imposter syndrome kind of disregard the experiences of certain groups of people. So if certain groups of people are experiencing like deliberate actions in the workplace, then in their mind, it's imposter syndrome, when in reality, it's probably an imbalance in what's happening within a workplace environment. So I think there's some really interesting reads on this and I encourage everyone to kind of like plug through those and see where they sit. But for a long time, I was very much in that mindset of like, I constantly have imposter syndrome. I'm constantly questioning everything I'm doing, if I'm doing the right things. And then in realizing and looking back, even through some of my own experiences, I'm like, oh, maybe there were circumstantial things that were kind of driving some of what I classified as imposter syndrome in the past. So it's a very interesting little rabbit hole to go down.
1: I'm going to maybe take a little bit of a pivot on this conversation. And it occurred to me kind of during the first time I joined the clubhouse and heard the conversation and Mark and I are a little bit more, okay, we're older than you are. And we're two white males. But I think about the tech industry and we've both been in it for almost 30 years and there were some pretty strong female voices and I'll say V1 of the B2B tech industry. And I'm thinking about people like Annika Seeley, Lori Richardson, who you mentioned, Trish Bertuzzi, Jill Conrath, these names ring a bell. Do you use them and some of the foundation that they've layered to kind of build upon for this V2 of women in sales club?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so much work that's been done. Obviously we are not, we're very transparent about this. We are not the first women in sales group. We will not be the last. That would not be a win for us to be the very last one that ever emerges. So for us, I think there is so many women in this field who have been doing the work. I think of Amy Bullis too, for decades, that's been doing this work too. Lori Richardson. Hey Amy. Hey Amy. (laughs) Yeah. She's my mentor actually. But Lori actually just came on as our advisor for the women in sales club. So that's been really exciting. But we did two topics recently and actually even in the last two weeks that were really around this topic of the journey of women in sales, the past, the present, the future, and that's been really breaking down. So Lori has a lens into her experience even a few decades ago that GB and I would not have. So we're even facilitating some of those conversations publicly. We're doing one for AAISP next week on the same topic, but Absolutely. There's so many lessons learned. There's so many experiences that I am still trying to understand for people that were early on in this field. Um, I'm learning a lot right now about, like, I don't have children, but I'm learning a lot about mothers that have been in sales and like what their experience was like decades ago versus today. So that's been super informative. So I, I feel like we're just in sponge mode right now, but absolutely taking forth a lot of the work that has been done. And also encouraging the next generation. Like we're, you know, I'm not a spring chicken anymore either. There's a next generation of women in sales that's coming up as well. So we want them to kind of step into their voices and like really be heard. So I think, you know, I see us as just another kind of step in this, you know, long timeline that's going to keep going for a while. So, yeah.
0: That's great, Alexine. I'm going to throw a a tough question at you. So I have a point of view, and I share this in my book Selling the Cloud, a whole chapter around it. So two premises. I mean, diversity in anything is extremely important. And the power of diversity is unquestionable. But I also went further on the fact that I think women are better suited for sales and sales leadership than even men. And I would love to hear your view on that. If it's uh, really agnostic, if it really doesn't matter, man or woman, and then the diversity issue is we just have to make sure we have more diverse leadership in sales and more diverse exposure from the standpoint of sales reps. But does it go further than that, from your perspective.
2: Yeah. So this, Ray, this answer won't surprise you, but I'm a very data-driven person. I love data. I love crunching through the numbers. I like seeing what's out there. Gong has done a lot of research on women in sales. They've released articles about this. I think, I do think that there are inherent traits that women and men both have, and they serve kind of like different purposes. But I also feel like we have blurred the lines of those traditional gender norms over the last few years. Like I lean much more towards a lot of the quote unquote male attributes, like the, you know, assertiveness, this, that, the other. So I think, you know, at the core of it, I do think it's, it's relying on the individual. Like, I think that you can't just, you know, we can't just put like 10 women who don't want to be in sales in a sales leadership role, and they're going to thrive. I think that there is the individual aspect. I think there is that coupled with the data that tells us that there are certain areas that women excel in sales. But I think that there's also this need for, we talk a lot about like, I guess, one of the things I, I hear about all the time, they're like, how do we attract women Into sales. And I don't think the attraction piece is our Achilles heel right now. I think it's the retention and growth piece. Like, how do we a promotion rather? So it's like the it's retaining and actually promoting women into these leadership roles. That's where I think we have kind of a drop-off. So I would love to see for us to, and I hope that Gabrielle and I are part of this, but I would love to see us start to have and tear apart some of that information and try to figure out like why does that drop off occur? what is happening within those years where people would normally be going towards those leadership roles but then they're kind of like plateauing or leaving the field what are some of the outside factors that we're not taking into consideration so i actually would love to like dig into the data more so ray maybe you and i'll we'll make a little side project mm-hmm. and we can get some more data going
1: Like <laughs> really i will do a research program totally funded and if you want to sponsor it as a Women in Sales Club, I would love to do this because I think that type of empirical data would be so important to the industry. And I just feel I have a responsibility because I think our generation and our gender has created part of the problem. So let's be part of the solution. Let's do it. I we'll love it. Count, <laughs> count me in, Ray. I'm in as well.
2: Here we go. So, we
1: got plans now. <laughs> I love something that you said. It's more about the individual characteristics and traits, I'll call them personality traits, than gender. But you and Gabrielle have had different experiences. Gabrielle's been in leadership, as you mentioned, from the SDR perspective. And I believe your entire B2B tech sales career, you've been an individual contributor, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Is that a personal choice? Or do you feel that you bumped your head against that leadership glass ceiling to become a frontline leader?
2: I feel like the onus is on me. What's interesting is a few years ago, I actually led and developed a field sales program. So that was my, I I call that like a quasi-leadership role because I was leading a program, but I didn't necessarily have like a ton of direct reports. And I did SDR leadership for a period of time as well. So for me, it was a deliberate decision but i do think that i'm getting to that place where in the next couple of years i'm like all right time to time to get moving it's time to move up the food chain for me i love being an individual contributor like it's it's fun i think there's so much to learn i also feel in some ways uh, that right now i'm really gathering information like i've i've really spent my entire career with startups very much intentionally because down the road i want to do something on my own so i think right now i'm almost like just soaking in everything around me, learning about these different environments, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. So I'm very much like in this scientific state of mind where I'm just observing everything. But yeah, I think uh, ideal state would be in the next like two years or so, I kind of start to climb the food chain, get back over to more of the leadership side. But I think in my specific case, it's been an intentional choice.
0: Yeah, we should really, all of us in sales should really acknowledge that it is, sales is one of the few industries that you can stay as an individual contributor and financially do much better. Yeah. Uh, if you're good, you always do better in, uh, in that kind of a role. And, uh, and you also end up getting more um, more power within an organization as you drive more numbers in ways that, in other positions and other functions in a company, you probably wouldn't wouldn't experience. So you know that's uh, maybe that's another example where women are smarter than men and you know we're doing all this analysis of why they don't take more leadership positions uh, i've been in both types of uh, roles i've been an individual contributor i've been a sales leader and to your point sometimes the the sales leadership roles are the the most thankless ones and uh, and i've certainly made a lot more money as an individual individual contributor per year i ever made in sales leadership roles so uh, another example of women being smarter than men maybe in my mind
2: no i mean i think though my experience does not echo what other women do but i think to your point it's like the golden handcuffs scenario i've felt that for the last eight years it's like the idea of like do i want to take maybe you take a step up in base but then you take a step way back in variable so it's kind of weighing those and for me i'm very much like I bought my condo, you know, in my early 20s alone, like I had all these big expenditures and I, you know, wanted to be able to travel. I like eating at Michelin restaurants. So there is that piece where the money is very captivating. And I do very much believe in the golden handcuff scenario too.
1: Well, we're already coming to the end of our time together, but I have one last question I'd love for you to kind of riff on a little bit. And that is where are we in this journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion? And there's been so much talk in the last 12 months, which is really good. But are you seeing the industry and are we putting the actions behind the conversations? Do you think we're kind of making progress?
2: Yeah, this is a good question. We just did a session with John Barrows and I will answer this question the same way that I did there, which is I feel like we're at like the midpoint. I don't feel like we're like at like an eight out of 10 or like a nine out of 10 on this journey. I think we're at the midpoint because there's still so much work. If we look at sales teams, for instance, like I look at my last few sales teams, I'm still the only woman on the team. I'm looking at my team. It's almost all white, almost all men. We still have a lot of work to do. So there's still not enough representation, not just from women. This isn't, you know, gender exclusive, but also from, You know folks with different education backgrounds like for the longest time you couldn't get into this field without a bachelor's degree, I don't know about you guys, but my bachelor's degree i'm not sure like how much that played into the work that I do today. Um, So there's just pieces like that. I think one of the cool things, which I'm excited to watch how this takes place after COVID is I do feel like we have sort of democratized things a bit because the fact that now we're remote for the most part, and a lot of companies are remote first organizations now. So that will be interesting to watch because for a long time where you live dictated what companies you could work for. So I think that there's some good trends there. But yeah, I think until I've said this before, but I think until... You know, I live in Chicago until when I walk out my door in Chicago and walk around a couple blocks, that looks similar to what my sales team looks like. I think that we still have a lot of work to do. So I would say we're at the midpoint in my honest opinion. I think we still have a lot of work to do, but I also think I'm seeing so many incredible community leaders and folks that are at the forefront of these conversations and really driving some of this change. So I think we have a lot of people who are there who want to make these these changes. And I think that, you know, as Amy Volus always says, we're better together.
0: I really enjoyed this, Alexine. I really think some of these things that we've analyzed together today, uh, I just love your perspective on it. I love your balance from both sides because, you know, there is a lot more work to do. Um, There are good things to be proud of that the industry has done. Uh, There are still things for us really to figure out. I, I really don't understand to your point. When we see sales teams that are still predominantly men or almost all men, you being the only one um, and not having a racial diversity and and other areas of diversity as well. It amazes me because we have so many great leaders in tech that, you know, having had a, a great career myself working with some of these individuals they are all the most inclusive focused individuals that I work with in any industry, you know, comparing that to people. I do a lot of work in private equity and venture capital and, you know, same thing. There's, there's lots of good progress there as well, but nothing like when I sit down with C level individuals in tech companies, it's just such an aware mindset that really, you know, makes me happy that I get to work with these people every day but yet the companies don't look that way. Right. And, you know, that's another study that I'd love to be a part of because I don't understand why that's happened. I don't understand maybe there are more structural things that have just blocked it. However, I think most of that structure is being removed now and that's really exciting. So thank you again for spending the time. I always hand off now to my good friend Ray to close us off. So thank you, Alexine, and over to you, right?
1: Well, because Alexine talked about her love for data, I'm going to share one last data point before I sign off for us, and that is the B2B cloud industry has a total revenue of about $350 billion. It's going to grow to $800 billion plus by 2025. Wow. The result of that, and this came from a previous guest on to Cloud, we're going to need over 300,000 additional B2B salespeople. So under the umbrella of necessity is the mother of innovation and invention. This gives us the opportunity to really fulfill that vision for making B2B sales much more diverse. So Alexine, thank you so much for your time today. Mark, as always, thank you so much for being our co-host. And to our listening audience, you know, it would mean the world to us if you're enjoying the topics in the guests that we have, go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, rate us on that podcast app, and even provide us a recommendation on topics and ideas that can make the show even better. Alexine, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Alexine. Bye-bye, everyone.